I don't have anything productive to say about the Patriots, really. Honestly. No, no, we don't have to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We've got uh, a lot of other stuff to talk sure, about. Sure, sure. Yeah, we have a heavy agenda. I did something different. Um, I I wrote a short intro. Oh, okay. And okay. So I, I was going to try that. Um, and if it doesn't work, this maybe it'll be the only time I do that. I also Good. thought, you know... Um, when are you going to fix the faucet? I am a writer. I'm writer's yes. right. You know, so why not yeah. tap, tap into this skill set that we've heretofore <laughs> ignored? <laughs> why use your skills now? I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think it's too late. No, yeah, I think so. I think our uh, uh, well. It's funny. I don't know how much thought you put into it with intros and podcasts because some podcasts they just go right into it, and then there are others that have a scripted intro like Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. And then there's Mark Marin who just kind of riffs. And sometimes it's like 15 minutes. Yeah. So, hey there, what the fuck it is. Like, my cat is in <laughs> yeah. Oh, the yeah. hospital again. <laughs> yeah. I can't stand that guy. I know you like him. I just can't stand that guy. Well, I don't think he elicits a moderate reaction from anyone. No, no, he's polarizing for sure. Yeah, And he, I don't, like the podcast as tell much me as about your dad to. yeah i i don't i, I it, it's definitely lost something but you know yeah. i'm still i'm still hanging in there with it so yeah all right well what's your intro all right well uh here we go well um you're gonna chime in uh you'll know when to chime in but then just hang okay. back for a second all right so welcome to cinema death cult a weekly eulogy for the death of motion pictures this week Oh, wait, hold on. Let me start over. Welcome to Cinema Death Cult, a weekly eulogy for the death of motion pictures. I'm Adam Bolger. And I'm Colin Woodward. And this week, we're discussing the Karate Kid cinema universe. From its humble beginnings as a mid-1980s teen sport flick that parents felt okay about allowing middle school-aged children to rent on VHS, the Karate Kid franchise somehow extended itself through five feature films. Recently, it was given a second chance at landing a crane kick, through the internet streaming soap opera, Cobra Kai. Colin and I recently watched the original Karate Kid, as well as King of the Underdogs, a documentary about Karate Kid director John Avildsen, as well as a representative sample of episodes of Cobra Kai. Very so Colin, good. thank you. <laughs> I got I to gotta cut the sentences down. I think that was a little long. That was, that, I don't know. That was, that was good. Thank you. I, I, so that's the intro. And and now we're supposed to seamlessly go into the conversation from here sure. on out. So, Colin, um, did you said that you um, either had not seen Karate Kid before, or you'd seen it so long ago you'd forgotten it? Is that more or less correct? Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. I think I saw the whole thing a long time ago, and I had definitely seen a lot of it in bits and pieces because it was on TV all the time when we were growing up. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So you knew the movie even if you hadn't really seen it. And I think, I well, I definitely remember seeing the second one at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was a thing where, like, I was lost because it wasn't that hard to follow, you know, <laughs> right, right, from right. the sequel. Um, but I don't think – I definitely did not see the original at the movie theater. I think because it was not really a kid's movie. I mean, you just called it a teen what, what did you say? It was kind of like a teen flick. 
Yeah, I um, call it a teen sports flick because if yeah. you consider karate a, a sport, then I don't know. And but, maybe that's why we didn't see it at the theater because it was kind of like too adult for me and like young kids and it's not really an, I mean, I guess adults could certainly appreciate it, but yeah, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's for teenagers. So that's why yeah. we probably didn't go see uh, it. I don't, I would contest that a little bit because I think it was like, I think I saw it at a lot of, I think when VHS was out and yeah. had VCRs and like when, um, kids were like 10, I think they, you know, parents like oh okay there's no there's a limited amount of swear words in this movie right uh, no nudity there's fighting but no blood and no guns so right. i think that it and and kids didn't think it was a bad movie they didn't think that they were being you know like they had to watch some lame movie they liked it you know right. so they're happy to watch it and i think i saw it at like sleepovers um people's party you know houses and stuff you know like whenever you go into like when you're a kid and you're going to like an adult party and they all want to like go drink and smoke pot in the next room like hey here watch a movie for an hour you know oh like, yeah I well you, were, you grew up around hipper people than i did i'm sort of superimposing my own parenthood uh, <laughs> behavior upon <laughs> you're projecting yeah your own, yeah. your own foibles onto the mid 1980s well in the 80s yeah. they were they were, go, they were doing coke and having key parties <laughs> in the other room that's, that's yeah. what was coming yeah. no that certainly was not happening in central massachusetts okay i don't i don't remember anyone watching this movie though like i don't because you know you this this episode was a little intimidating for me at first because you you kind of wanted to frame it around nostalgia and yeah. kind of bring in these yeah. other things and that's fine but i was thinking about this movie and i'm sure we we talked about it when i was in uh middle whatever the hell i was elementary school but i just don't remember a lot of kids connecting to it my family didn't mm. and i just never remember it being discussed all that much compared to other movies i mean certainly you know, the mid '80s was a boom time for uh, boom time for this this type of movie. Um, yeah. But I just I don't know. Maybe it just kind of fell through the cracks to a certain degree with what huh. we were watching. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't remember. Oh, that's interesting because that was not my experience with it. Like this was very much like I think it was like that year, whatever, like 1987 around there. The first one. Yeah. '84. '84. God. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think that as things, you know, culture kind of moved slower at the time. So especially with, you know, the advent of VHS, I think right. like, this was a huge VHS movie for, in my experience. And it was um, something every kid I knew knew. I guess that's the other thing like about pre-internet culture is that, you know, um, I think, I guess popular movies might've, <laughs> might've varied by, by uh, elementary schools, you know? Yeah, like a, right. Well, yeah. and, uh, you know, again, to, to go back to how often it was on TV, because still a lot of people didn't have VCRs until like the late 80s. I don't think we had true. one until maybe 88, something like that. So we I, I maybe could have rented it with a friend, but we always wanted to watch stuff that was a little bit more transgressive when we went to the yeah. video store. Yeah, yeah that was what. And that's another interesting thing about revisiting the movie. Well, before I get to that thought, because I saw it a lot. I saw this movie a lot when I was a kid. And I, and now thinking as an adult, I don't think I ever liked it that much, which is weird. Right. You know, like 
Like when you were, it's weird that I saw it. I remember seeing it a lot and I remember all these like little things from it. I guess like, you know, the guys, like the bad guys, uh, the guys, the, the Cobra Kai guys, the, you know, the guys in the bad karate school. Like I remember them dressing up as like uh, skeletons. I remember the crane kick. I remember, um, I weirdly remember a lot of details about uh, Daniel's mother. Like that was the thing that really like, lasted with me. Like that scene, like that was very present in my memory of this movie. Yeah. Nobody, nobody talks about her, but she was like, there's, so, there's something about that character and that performance that really stuck with me as something real. Oh, I think I was mortified by the fact that she drove them, drove him on the date with Elizabeth shoe. And she was like in that beat up, um, station wagon and she was like there and present and talking through the whole date and i think i was like that just seemed like such a fucking crazy humiliating uh, right, like, situation yeah. to be in you know um but uh so now so now presumably uh you've watched it and so what do you think of the original karate kid of the original karate kid yeah well yeah i mean it's a good movie it it's certainly <laughs> a you know, I, I mean, it's an entertaining film, but I mean, like, kind of like I alluded to, I mean, I just didn't really have a huge connection to it. Yeah, and it does. Yeah. It does play on those tropes with, well, and obviously with Rocky, because I mean, it's the same director. So it's kind of the same yeah. story. Yeah. This kind of clean cut American kid who's an outsider and he, he, he gets the girl, he gets the, you know, he wins the big fight. So yeah all that stuff is, is, you know, it's very obvious. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it is, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a good movie, but I've, I've never, I've never really wanted to watch it that much. <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, I think around the time there were just more movies that I liked as a kid. Again, this was right. Maybe too much reality for me. Like even when huh. I remember watching the first Rocky movie as because I saw it when I was probably I probably saw Rocky four maybe first or something yeah, and that's pretty yeah. slick and you can be an idiot and appreciate that movie but like the first yeah. one's kind of slow it's kind of dark it's a lot more uh, adult yeah um, the first one's like really sad I hated it when I was a kid and yeah now, like, it, it is yeah. it's kind of a sad movie and there are only yeah. and we've talked about it but you know in these empty yeah. streets and everything um so you know this movie it's 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 more cheerful than the original Rocky and in, in yeah. terms of how it's shot, it's in California. So, you know, there are a lot of things to like about it. I mean, the guy who plays, you know, the villains are very evil and hateful. Yeah. And you can definitely root for, for Ralph Macchio. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've, I've never had strong feelings about this movie. Again, it's, it was something that was just so deeply, pressed into like the pop culture mind of, of the 1980s. So like, again, if you, if you hadn't seen it, you definitely knew about it and it had, you know, a huge following and they made sequels. But I, I, I remember when I saw the second one, I loved the beginning because it's where the bastard head of Cobra Kai, he tries to kick Mr. Miyagi's ass and he puts his hand through the windows. <laughs> yeah. And, and as a kid, I was like, holy shit, like this, <laughs> this is awesome. But then yeah. the second movie, I thought it was kind of dull. I mean, he yeah. goes to Okinawa and, you know, there's a romance. It's kind of, 
meh. And um, yeah. you know, there's a fight scene at the end. So I didn't love the second. I think it was one of the first movies I think I saw at the theater as a kid, and I, and I didn't love it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I could certainly <laughs> handle adult movies at that age. I don't want to say, like, this is a too adult for me because I yeah. didn't see stuff that was more grown up. But um, I don't know. It just it, – maybe – I, it was just the, like the setting. It was like in California. I just didn't, I didn't really find it all that interesting as a kid or the whole story. Yeah. Like I didn't do karate. I didn't know anyone who did karate. So yeah. it just, it never really, I, I, I never really uh, got into it for lack yeah, of this, a better word. It's funny that you saw the second one in the theater. I, I, the only thing I remember about the second one, and I was going to say I didn't see it until I remembered that the, the, this one detail about it is that i remember in the second one somebody in a karate tournament is able to block the crane kick because there's such a right. big build up in the first one to this right. crane kick i don't know whatever for whatever reason so it's be a good i kick. remember the little drums there he's, he's miyagi starts twisting the drums and then daniel does this like you know side to side move and he's able to yeah. kick the guy's ass but um it didn't yeah. really resonate i mean, remember it but i just yeah. i didn't love it yeah, well, it has a song though. Well, the two, well, the two songs, um, the Peter Cetera ballad, which was huge, that sort of dominated my childhood. Do you remember that song at all? No, I, I not like, off the top of my head. This is so crazy. When I was in fourth grade or fifth grade or something like that, um, our music teacher decided to my elementary school music teacher decided to let the kids decide what we would learn. And somehow, I think all the boys all decided to do, wanted to do rap music, and the girls voted that we'd learn how to sing that song. So I still okay. know, every, like, like a knight in shining armor from a long time ago, take you to my castle far away. Da, da, da. It's, you know, it's just like the cheesiest 80s yeah. ballad ever. But yeah, it's like, if I, if I, if I suffer from severe Alzheimer's, <laughs> I will retain the melody of that stupid song, which I'd never like. Lucky that you. and uh, yeah, but there's actually the other one that kind of got a little bit more um, ironic, but also it's a kind of a, a better high energy ra- uh, rock song, like ironic, a mix of like ironic and genuine enjoyment, of, ironic and sincere enjoyment is the um, "You're the best around." Nothing is gonna break a damn damn, you know. You know that song, right? It's not Sur- that's not Survivor, is it? No, Survivor is Eye of the Tiger. They right. have similar songs. It, okay. um, it was, I think it got to, I think it was like used on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and had this like kind of second <laughs> life uh, of like I- okay. ironic reference. But it's also like when you hear it, because it's like it, the lyrics are super cheesy. It's like, you're the best yeah, around. Yeah. Nothing in a gun to bring you down now. But it's got like a good, it's got this great hook. So you have this ironic enjoyment that's tempered by sincere enjoyment of a good song. So those are the two things that I thought maybe might have broken through the miasma of the movie and um, gotten to you. But um, yeah, that's interesting. So you, yeah. So the reason I'm, what I'm inferring here is the reason that you wouldn't want to discuss this, the, the Karate Kid franchise in in the framework of nostalgia is that you don't have any nostalgia for it. I really don't. And yeah. I mean, the eighties was, was a decade where there's so many iconic movies. I mean, if you put them on a list or you put on some kind of spectrum, like there's certain movies where I have a lot of nostalgia for, 
you know, mm-hmm. starting maybe, you know, Star Wars is on one end of the spectrum, Indiana Jones, and then you, you got to kind of get more to the middle with maybe like Gremlins and 16 Candles or, and then like a, a more kind of toward the bottom be kind of uh-huh. like Karate Kid, Top Gun, um, you know, some other stuff I, I can't think yeah. of There's so much, but like yeah. the John Hughes movies obviously uh, are a huge reason for, for eighties nostalgia. But mm-hmm. um, you know, this one's kind of in the middle somewhere. Again, I, I, I've liked it, but haven't had a real affinity for, for this movie. Right. And I guess too, like, I mean, I know there are kind of like serious parts and they're evil Cobra Kai guys, but the movie's, it's pretty light, really. I mean, I yeah. know there's some violence and stuff, and you're get, seeing kids get their asses kicked, but I don't know. There just didn't really seem to be a whole lot of depth to the story, and it really is kind of a rock. It's rocky. It's a rehash of Rocky, really. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I would agree. With, uh, yes, I would agree with that, but I'd go a step further and, and say, like, well, Rocky, both Rocky and the Karate Kid, except for like the grace notes and the story craft and the attention to details with which they were made, they could have been made in the 1940s. Both of them. Yeah, like, right. it's an old, yeah. like Rocky's an old-fashioned boxing movie. This is an old-fashioned teen movie, teen romance movie. And even like the... Um, I, I do want to talk about the Nuts and Bolts, the original Karate Kid movie, but the one thing that's... The, the genesis of that observation that it was like this old-fashioned movie was when Elizabeth Shue and first... Uh, uh, Elizabeth Shue and Ralph Macchio first meet at the beach, and the way it's kind of edited, and they're giving like these glancing looks from across the beach, and you see like through the way it's edited how the passage of time, and they're kind of interested in each other, and like it's very... And it's well done. It's really well done, but it's also like really old-fashioned nuts and bolts filmmaking. You know, like it could have been, it could have been like in a in a Humphrey Bogart movie or something of that nature. Like, right. And also, and you're absolutely right. Like it is the story is pretty toothless in the sense there's not any kind of real grit to it. But it's. Um, but the thing, I mean, like the great, it has the same grace notes as Rocky in the sense that there's this attention to detail and to this sort of interesting realism about it. You know, like they, like, and, and the realism is most prominent with its portrayal in both movies of um, like Northeastern Italian American kind of underclass people of the, you know, mid, mid to late 20th century. You know, like say like Rocky and Burt Young and Talia Shire in, uh, in Rocky. And then you have Daniel and his mom and, you know, they're from Newark. Uh, right. And Travolta, uh, too. I mean, there's kind of like a, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily compare Machio to Travolta, but they're kind of in the same ballpark. You know what I mean? Like, to a degree. But also, interestingly, um, John Avilson was the original director on... Um, Saturday Night Fever right. got fired. Yeah, I thought I, yeah. Well, the, the Avildsen do- documentary was instructive at a number of levels for me. But yeah, I, I, I didn't know that. And yeah, there's some other movies that he did that I had forgotten about that I would like to see the more the earlier ones. 
Um, yeah, uh, like the oh, you like the uh, Joe. Like I've never seen that. Oh, Joe, it's so it's pretty good. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think you can, it, you can find it streaming for free. It was Susan Sarandon's first movie. And, uh, <laughs> Did Peter Boyle ever look young? No, I mean that. Yeah, that's like his the movie that quote unquote made him a star. If you argue that he's a star, um, but he yeah he was already like completely bald. At that point, and that was like 1971 or 72. And he wasn't that old when he died. No, either. no. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's a good actor. I, I like yeah. him. But that was kind of like the companion piece. Uh, I think that that movie at the time got lumped in together with Taxi Driver a lot. And obviously, Joe. it would. Yeah. yeah, Joe. Uh, and obviously, it would suffer by that comparison because whereas Joe is like a pretty good movie and it kind of deals with culture wars and. You know, like um, like hippies and stuff versus like you know uh, a revanchist, you know, kind of middle class, like a you know aggrieved uh, white male, whatever. Um, you know, w- whereas the, they share that in common in a way, or just um, Taxi Driver is like one of the greatest movies ever made, and Joe's just pretty good. Yeah, I mean that's that's a tough comparison if you're going up against Taxi Driver. Uh, yeah. is Joe, what is it? Like kind of like a mob movie or no, no. it's like, it's, um, it, I, as I recall, I saw it a long time ago, but, um, I think that Joe is just like, it's a character study for a while. And then just like Joe is this, uh, white kind of like, um, blue collar kind of Archie Bunkerish guy who feels like, you know, he's angry the world's passed him by and he's mad at, at the emerging culture and, you know, how things and change just generally. And somehow he encounters Susan Sarandon. I think that he, who is a hippie or just, you know, a young person. And I think that he might um, abduct her or torture her or something. I I forget. I mean, I saw it a long time ago. I I remember it being fairly good. You know, I, I, again, I think because, you watch it and, it and the tone and the storytelling and the theme are very close to Taxi Driver, but it's okay. not as good. Yeah, It's weird. It's kind of one of those movies I lump in to these other 70s. They're kind of like second tier, third tier, gritty 70s movies like Friends of Eddie Coyle and like The Apprenticeship yeah. of Duddy Kravitz. And they probably have nothing to do with each other. But in my mind, yeah. I sort of like lump them together as being about the same thing. Cause yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. it's been taking me a long time to watch any of them. Um, yeah. but I've, I'm getting there, but yeah, I should watch Joe, but, um, yeah, I mean with, with the documentary, it was interesting to see his trajectory as a director and how yeah. between Rocky and Karate Kid, he was kind of persona non grata to. Yeah. That, that was very interesting. And I, I also thought that was very illuminating too. that point because, he made Rocky, which was a huge hit for very little money. And then he just seemed like kind of a persnickety guy who didn't like to take direction and got fired from a lot of high profile movies. And then, you know, he couldn't really recover. And then Karate Kid, which is not, I don't think it was very prestigious of a film. And I don't, and it was very similar to Rocky in the sense that I probably low budget and, um, you know, probably like a, I bet a lot of directors passed on it, but then you know he he took this kind of mediocre, what I thought was a mediocre script and a media mediocre story, and used a lot of um, 
really, really well done storytelling craft to make it into a much better story, a much better movie than it really deserved to be. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I, I think the the Avildsen documentary would be good to show to aspiring filmmakers because it does kind of teach you a couple things. I mean, obviously the, the this kind of class, you know, you talked about it, but this classic story structure that goes back to the forties and, and probably even before that of kind of like the scrappy dude who's, you know, <laughs> trying to win yeah. the big game and the movie can kind of take you on that journey of yeah. uh, him winning the fight or at least doing well. Um, I, I've only been to one screenwriting workshop in my life, but one of the lessons the guy told us, he's like, you need, you, need, you know, whatever you think of the Indiana Jones movies, he's like, you need the Holy Grail, you need the Lost Ark. Like there needs to yeah. be a journey and, and, and a goal. Um, and in the better Avildsen movies do that. But also with, and you talked about low budget, like it seemed like he was very economical. I mean, he yeah, could make absolutely. a cheap movie that looked good and it was also well acted and, and shot and everything. And it was, it was interesting too, because like, yeah, he would, he had some troubles and he would get fired, but he didn't seem to have like a, a raging ego with no. the, the cast and like the crew yeah. is maybe more the the higher ups that he had a problem with. Right. Yeah. I think that's probably a reasonable inference. And it was kind of the other thing I was very illuminating about that documentary uh, was when they brought on the producer of Karate Kid. Um, I think his name is Weintraub. And okay. Jerry, Jerry Weintraub. He's in a couple scenes. And he's like, like every time I joke about a movie producer being like this um, kind of skeezy, fast-talking, cynical guy, like this is the avatar of all those guys, you know, like, hey, the kid's like karate, gonna make a karate movie. Come on, man, gonna make a cheap, you know, that kind of bullshit thing. And, um, and, and so the really the deep cynicism behind that I think that behind the, the, the first Karate Kid movie, because it was his baby. So it's this deeply cynical, pandering thing, you know, idea and story and whatever. But then they accidentally bring in John Avildsen, who is kind of like this really good, you know, craftsman of film. And it becomes in that, like, he finds, like, a way to make it compelling, you know? And, like, he brings some kind of reality or something... I, I don't know, like some some kind of truth right. to it, you know? Um, like that was very like illuminating to me. Yeah, I think it's sort of a classic example of being able to transcend the material to a large yeah. degree because, yeah, I mean, on its surface, it's not an original story by any means. And no, it's except not, for the, Oh, go on, sorry. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think there are some things that, some little hooks that it had, like with the crane, it's a, which apparently was kind of not necessarily improvised. It was kind of like a last minute. Let's let's figure out something. So I, I like the way that the documentary showed, like a lot of things are are they come up with them the day of or the night before. Yeah, so yeah. it might not be in the original script, but they really kind of make the movie. Right. Well, yeah. But that that so that so the original part of this movie, which is otherwise kind of like a very shop worn story about teen romance and some kind of you know athletic competition and snobs versus slobs and an underdog you know 
Um, the, the original part of it, to a degree, is the karate, you know, this martial arts thing at the centerpiece of it, right. which would probably otherwise not be in a teen movie. Of, you know, it's set in California. Uh, but that's absolutely the, the worst part of the movie, you know? I mean, for, if you're a kid, it's pretty... Yeah, if you're a kid in the 80s, I'm sure it's good and attractive. But as an, you know, I, I was watching it as an adult, and um, I mean, anytime they started fighting or doing karate, I'm like, this seems like bullshit, and it's boring, and I don't like it. Um, and you can kind of see that from the Jerry Weintraub thing. Like, it's not like he didn't fucking go to Japan or talk to you know whatever. I mean, there is some the guy, the screenwriter, I think had a background in karate. Like he really was inspired by learning karate and the name Mr. Miyagi is taken from a, a, an important figure in karate, but like, it's not like real in that way. Like the way the stuff that is real is the stuff about like the performances and the realism and like, just like the, it's a well-made film. Yeah. And I think, you know, with, with karate movies, like, how do you top what you see in a Bruce Lee movie or something from the seventies? Like right. there's no way the karate itself will ever top. I mean, I know there are a lot of Kung Fu action movies that have been made since then, but this, this is not what's happening in this movie. No. So it's like, they want to show you just enough um, to, to give it that hook, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of more about the drama and, and, Right. Coming of age and those kind of classic uh, things. And also the relationship between Miyagi and Daniel. I mean, that's really the crux yeah. of the movie. And if that had yeah. not been convincing or or nowadays, it would maybe be kind of gross. I, I don't know. Because um, yeah. you'd be like, what's going on here? Um, yeah, the surrogate father thing is very... Uh, yeah, I think that would make people kind of uncomfortable today. But I, but I don't know. At the same time, the movie was remade. With Jackie Chan and uh, Jaden Smith, I think is Will Smith's son's name, a couple fairly recently, and I think it was a pretty similar dynamic. I didn't see it, but you know there wasn't any outcry about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's obviously they're they're not going to make a movie that's like crosses some line uh, between. Oh, if you and and a young boy, if you want to, if you want to have that um, sort of vague background discomfort amplified a little bit, I'd I'd recommend watching the clips from the next Karate Kid, where the Karate Kid is a girl and she's played by Hilary Swank, and she's so she's like, but this is like pre-fame Hilary Swank, and um, I was watching it, I'm like. I'm like, uh, she probably should be wearing a, you know, not that she's like, not that it's like titillating or anything, but I'm like, she looks kind of young and kind of like, I like to see her in some baggier clothes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was, so that was the third one. The third one. That was the, no, that's the fourth one. That's the fourth one. The next one. Yeah. Cause there's Karate Kid one, two and three and Ralph Macchio is in all those movies. Um, and then they make the next Karate Kid, which has Pat Morita. And then they have the Karate Kid remake. Which, okay. And so it's crazy because it's, it's, if you watch the first Karate Kid, it's such a modest story. And it's like you said, like there, you have every reason to have it not reverberate for you. It's kind of like it's a well-made movie in, in terms of craft, but it's otherwise like, and it's pretty well acted, you know, but it's like, it's it's cynical at its core 
and it's kind of mediocre in the end. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's weird to me that it, that it has, it carries on so much in, in terms of its footprint is so big. You know, like this is like if you watch that movie in a time capsule, you didn't like the first Karate Kid and you didn't have any context and you're just watching like, oh, yeah, some random movie. Kind of good. They must have forgotten about it and nobody ever thought about it. You know, they moved on to some other thing. But instead, it's, you know, there's a whole there's there's a whole universe. Like there's uh, if you add it up, it's like there's like 40 hours of Karate Kid content. (laughs) Well, it's weird. It's it's sort of these movies, they they just self-perpetuate because if a movie is cheap and then it makes, it's a huge box office success, you, you know they're going to make a sequel. It's absolutely certain they're going to make a sequel. And that means they're probably going to make at least three or four of them. I mean, they just don't know when to stop. And I mean, I think that's... You know, and we don't necessarily need to segue to Cobra Kai now, but like, right, right, right. After four movies and a remake and a Next Generation and <laughs> Greatest Hits and the yeah, yeah. Of, like, it's. I like, think there might have been an animated show. I feel like there <laughs> might have been a cartoon, but don't don't quote me on that. Well, and I was so happy when I saw Ralph Macchio in uh, My Cousin Vinny because I'm like, oh, he's in another good movie. Like, yeah, and that was kind of the same thing, like. That was, well, he's, mean, in cro- he's in Crossroads, but that's not good. And he was in one of those big. Oh, he's in uh, yeah, yeah, he's in movies, right? Like Rumblefish or something. Yeah, either Rumblefish, Outsiders, yeah, 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 one of those. Like he, the 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 Stay Gold Pony Boy movie, whichever one that was, <laughs> which I've never seen. <laughs> you know the line, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I know that's how much it's <laughs> that's how much it's permeated me. Well, yeah, it's, and it's, it's, it's funny too. I, I mean, I don't know with like the eighties because the eighties seems to be a real decade for nostalgia. And I don't know if it's just because of like a Gen X generational thing, uh, where it falls in the history of movies. I don't know, but there's this weird thing going on with, you know, kids watching movies about kids that don't really have parents or they have one parent. And so everything's just kind of like this, this weird, dynamic and you know sometimes it's it's like a it's a mr miyagi type of person or it's with a it's with a puppet yeah. i mean there's like yeah. all these sur- surrogate parents uh coming coming into movies in the 80s what, what's, the, what's the movie with the puppet that you're talking about <laughs> well you could it could be yoda from star wars oh, or uh, it could be the gremlin i mean i don't know but uh um, there's not a certain <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I feel like you're kind of you're kind of uh, bad mouthing Gremlins, a movie no, that I think I'm is, not. is no. a masterpiece. That's, I think that's more about kids. It's about having kids than being a kid. Um, but anyway. I just think that's about wall to wall unadulterated genius. But yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Anarchy, let's move yeah, on. Yeah. We'll talk about that some other time. Yes, let's do that. Yeah, but um, uh, but I want to make a couple of, like uh, so the first like five minutes of the first Karate Kid movie, I thought were, I was stunned by how good they were. Like the scenes where it, it's in Newark and I was, um, it, it was like, it was like driving on 280 for a minute. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I know all these places. You know, I recognize all this stuff there, you know, whatever. There's Secaucus nearby or whatever it was, you know? And then they get on the road and they have that like kind of 
almost like John Ford Western score, like all those strings and all those you know major key strings. And they're going across the country, and you know, and it's like, oh no, we're in the desert for a second, da da da, you know, and like the mom, it's like, no, push the station wagon, we can do it, you know, like that. And it's like just these beautiful vistas of driving from from dingy, decaying right. Newark across, you know, out west, and then you end up in that that you know shithole Reseda. Uh, Los Angeles, California uh, apartment complex, which also that was very interesting too, like because that was um, that was really interesting too because it was like everybody was so friendly there because you and that's something I think it was very like night stuck in the 1980s to a degree because now like you would see that and like the language of like the decay and how shitty it looked and also quite frankly like the um, like the the Latino character, the Latino young man that befriends him in the beginning of the movie. I thought that that was, you know, I thought that was a sign that all that shit was going to go south for him. I thought another shoe was going to drop, you know, and like there, there was going to be some much grittier, you know, well, negative thing, you know, like it was like poverty and whatever, but instead it was like, again, 1940s, like, Hey, everybody in the building likes each other, you know? (laughs) <laughs> and I, you know, yeah, right, right. You know what I mean? Like that was very old-fashioned. I think the '80s are probably the last decade that you might have seen that. Because now I think they would they would make a point. You could still have that friendliness and that friendly vibe, but there'd right. be like a scene with like the Latino kid, like you know, his mom, like his like mom drunk in the kitchen and him doing dishes, and like, no, I take care of my younger brother. You know, whatever. Some like kind of thing about some kind of. Uh, I don't know, reach for realism or you know so, something like that. Well, it's weird because it seems like it kind of took a while for that to come back around in L.A. movies because it seemed like, you know, for a long time in the 80s with, with movies set in L.A., it's kind of just like more an idea than a setting. Like, it, you don't think, yeah. you can't think of a lot of movies that have any real visceral Los Angeles vibe to it. I mean, like, but Later with the Tarantino movies, he, he said it, you know, a lot of his movies specifically in L.A., so you get kind of a better sense of that um, and how impoverished a lot of it are just sprawling and just kind of yeah, nasty. Yeah, sprawling and weird and car culture and nasty. So in a way, weird, yeah. it's kind of, again, it's that sort of classic story of they're going to the West Coast, they're going to the frontier, you know, to seek their yeah. a better life. And then in a lot of ways, it just it's either at, it's the same shit or it's worse because yeah. even if he does hit it off with people initially, there's these bastards from Cobra Kai who you know want to kill right. him. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing that sort of um, the movie doesn't sort of doesn't track in terms of what we know of movies because like well what we know of reality honestly because like L A is pretty segregated you know like there's. Uh, Brentwood and uh, then there's um, Compton, you know, right. like I think we kind of faint like post the 1980s. We have, you know, I think people have a general idea of what, what LA is like in that respect. And so in this movie, it's like, um, uh, Daniel lives in this crummy apartment, but then somehow he's going to high school with, um, you know, rich white girl preppy, you know, like somehow that's <laughs> right. in the same, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really track. I mean, it makes sense again, old fashioned movies, you know, wrong yeah. side of the tracks, whatever. You don't have to think about it too hard, but now, you know, now it doesn't make sense. And also it, it, 
again, we'll talk about, we'll get to Cobra Kai in a minute, but it's still like, that doesn't make sense to me, that Cobra Kai thing where they're all going to the same high school and yet, you know, there are people who are country club members and then there are people who live in a shithole apartment in Reseda. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't track. That, and, that's that's true. And, and yeah. probably in LA, just geographically, it wouldn't make sense, you know? No. Like, uh, so no, I, I mean, well, you It'd be a six it. hour drive. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, uh, God, I mean with Cobra Kai, I didn't even, I didn't really even think about it that deeply, but no, you're right. I, I know it does relate to the original movie in that sense. Yeah. And oh, the other, the other thing I related to the original movie is that how young the actors all looked like almost, yeah. almost, un- it made me a little bit uncomfortable. Cause I hadn't seen, I watched Cobra Kai first, but then I, w- I went back and I watched, um, the original karate kid. And even though, uh, um, what's his face? Ralph Macchio was in his twenties, I guess he looked like 14 years old tops. Well, the dude is like in his late fifties now and he looks like he's about 45. Yeah. Yeah. He it's still looks kind of young. Very, very I mean, boyish looking. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and also Elizabeth shoe looked very young to me. Like I was very surprised when she came on, 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 on screen because, uh, I mean, cause she's still active. Like she still is in stuff, you know, like she's yeah. on the boys that, that Amazon show. And she was in obviously, leaving Las Vegas and, and, you know, other movies as an adult. And, you know, so I think of her as an adult. And then in this movie, she's kind of like, she looks about 15 like in a way that I was very surprised by. I expected all the teenagers to look like they're about 30. Like I realized like, um, <laughs> like, in, like in, if you rewatch the breakfast club and you watch it in like a high def version of it, you know, um, like the guy, uh, Judd Nelson, I think is the actor's name. He has like gray hairs in that movie. Really? I, I think so. Like he, like he does, he looks like well, he I does know, not look like a 15 year old. I, I know Ali Sheedy was at least 30 in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's weird. And you're used to that. You're like, and that's fine. Like, I don't think real teenagers should be in movies. I think that it's cr- a cruel practice, you know, or whatever. I think they get exploited, but you know, so it's weird when kids look young when they really look like the age they're supposed to be, that that was surprising to me. Yeah. Well, I, I just, I looked up Elizabeth. She, she was in her early twenties when this movie came out. Oh, So she wasn't, yeah. she wasn't that young. And, um, I, I will check Ali Sheedy too. Cause I, I hate saying <laughs> shit where it, <laughs> I'm way off. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, when I listen to the podcast and sometimes I, I hear something and I kind of knew at the time that it probably wasn't right, but I was, sort of close to something like yeah. i said tony danza was in magnolia but it was crash he was in that was a different oh, ense- okay. long ensemble movie is uh, yeah was pretty of. disparate in quality too yes um yeah. but um you know so what were you so you were surprised at, at how young everyone looked and sort of the class elements involved um mm. And it, so it looks like it looks. I just looked it up. Uh, Ali Sheedy was twenty three when they oh, made Breakfast Club, uh, and Judd Nelson was twenty five. Molly okay. Ringwald sixteen. All right, all right. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, I thought no, she was no, no. older. I mean that, but yeah, because I mean, they're also supposed to be like sixteen or seventeen. But I guess it's only Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall are actually teenagers in that movie. 
Maybe I'm thinking of the girl with glasses on 90210. I know she was like way out of high school. <laughs> I'm cool. I'm cool.